Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by the Audiobook Reviewer, your resource for audiobook reviews. Visit audiobookreviewer.com to find hundreds of audiobook reviews, learn how to get your audiobook reviewed, and find out more about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards. There's also a link to audioafterdark.org, the website for the new podcast being created by audiobook reviewer Paul Stokes, Audiobooks After Dark. Tonight's chat is also brought to you by the Audiobookworm. Jess the Audiobookworm specializes in audiobook promotion, and she has a new publication out titled The Narrator Resource Guide, where she offers all kinds of helpful information about promoting your narration business and your audiobooks. Head on over to audiobookwormpromotions.com to learn more about the guide. You can find it under Services. And with promo code COCKTAILS, you can get a $10 discount. And now, come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an award-winning audiobook producer. In fact, she is the executive producer at Harper Audio, the audio imprint of HarperCollins. Caitlin Gehring, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you could make it. I know that we had a little bit of a uh, scheduling snafu. Yeah, apparently crowns never happen when you plan them. (laughs) They just happen when most inconvenient. Believe it or not, uh, I am dealing with that myself right now. I'm no, I am. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I completely understand how that happens uh, sometimes just at the wrong moment. You think, well, I'll wait this long. I'll wait this. Oh, I guess I won't be waiting anymore. Nope. And nope. some sometimes you have no warning whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I was that one. It was just like, oh, I'm eating pizza. Well. Guess I'm having some fun later this week. Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I hope it all went well. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Well, thanks for coming in. I'm so glad you could make it. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a uh, ginger beer with sriracha bitters. Sriracha Um, bitters. That sounds very cool. It's great. I got spoiled when I was introduced to ginger beer. Um, We have, or I have a really good friend named um, Dan who used to brew his own ginger beer and he would make it super spicy and dry. And it like it had like such a kick that it would make me sneeze after taking a sip. But then you just keep it just was so good. You just kept drinking. And so now even the normal spicy ginger beer is not spicy enough unless I add like sriracha. That's great. Uh, but, bitters to it. But no vodka. So you're not having a mule. No, I unfortunately have errands to run later. Otherwise, I totally would have. <laughs> or I would have had some like rum and have like a spicy dark and stormy. There you go. Dark and stormy. I uh, For a while, I was calling those a uh, Jamaican ass. And then I realized, oh, there's already a drink that's uh, ginger beer and rum. So I guess I can uh, just retire the name that I made up. Um, that sounds great, though. Sriracha bitter, bitters. I'm a big bitters fan. My wife for Christmas got me a book on do-it-yourself bitters, which I have nice. I have not started doing yet, but I have high hopes that at some point I will be. In the meantime, in the meantime, um, there's plenty of good brands out there, and uh, I'm actually using some tonight. I am having a what I'm calling a Thanksgiving Manhattan, but which has instead of Angostura bitters, it has cranberry and figgy pudding bitters. 
And oh, um, interesting. Yeah, it's a little subtle. I think I actually could have used more bitters, but uh, but anyway, it's a it's a slight difference from the typical Manhattan, and uh, that's always a good thing. So yeah, I'm a big fan of bitters. I'm gonna have to look for some sriracha bitters and then figure out what I can do with them. <laughs> I mean, you can pretty much do anything with them. It's great. Anything um, that you want spicy, which means anything that yeah. I'm going to drink, but not my wife. Yeah. I mean, the good <laughs> news is they're super subtle, so it's not going to like overpower the drink. Oh, that's good. So even though they're spicy, they're not that spicy. Um, let no. me ask you, what kind of ginger beer is your favorite? Um, I really like, I think it's Gosling. Mm, Gosling's. That's used in bars a lot. Um, yeah. We, we tried that one. I didn't love it. My recommendation, if you want to try a slightly more... Um, just a lot, a lot of flavor is Bundaberg. I think it's actually Australian. Yeah, they do a root beer. They're a little too sweet for me. They're a little too syrupy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. All right, well, and the other one that we liked was uh, Cock and Bull. I have not tried that one. I'll have to keep an eye out. Cock and Bull is great. They also have a cherry ginger beer, which is uh, a bit of a flavor explosion for some people, but uh, I thought it was pretty tasty, so... Anyway, well, I hope that the uh, ginger beer and the bitters are good. My Manhattan so far is tasting good. So thanks for coming in. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I feel like we're on an episode of Thrilling Adventure Hour whenever I hear the clink. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I'm not familiar with that show. Have they oh, stole so my good. idea? <laughs> uh, they were, they've been around for a long time. So oh, okay. So I could think it's just in the is. ether. All right. All right. In well, um. So, so I heard some sirens in the background there. Where are you? Um, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm just hanging out of my apartment. Sirens, popular in New York City, from what I understand. I think happen. <laughs> Where are you from originally, Caitlin? Uh, I grew up all over the place. Um, my family moved around a lot, so I don't have any one place that I really call home. Is that a military thing? Oil, the other one. Ah. But I, I did live long enough in Texas to have a legitimate claim to using y'all for the rest of my life. Oh, that's great. That's a, that's a popular thing in all, all areas of the South, and I hear it wherever I am as well. So, uh, so that's good. At least you got something good out of Texas, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you Definitely up, not the humidity. So <laughs> I hear that. Uh, I've been in Houston once. I'm hoping not to go back. So, uh, so you grew up all over the place. Uh, where'd you land eventually? Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to school in the, at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm so actually kind familiar of... with Columbia. I haven't been there, but I've got a friend who's from there. And um, oh, nice. she, she would tell me stories about the fact that it was a university town and it just it totally got completely dead in the summer. And then there were just thousands and thousands of people uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, I used to stay over in the summers and it'd be like very quiet, very like town, the year long resident centric. And then like come August, it's just like the descending <laughs> hordes Boom, yeah. of students. Because there's at least two colleges. I think there's more actually in that town. Uh, so what did you do there? Uh, I studied uh, journalism. So I was a convergence journalist major, which is basically we were the official jacks of all trades. So we learned how to do video and radio and print and online and kind of a little bit of everything. The goal was that we could find a story and not necessarily like if we were at, the, at a news, uh, a print newsroom, like just because we had a story, it wouldn't necessarily go into print. We would find the best medium for that story to be told. 
Well, that sounds really cool. It sounds like a, a good training for kind of an overall um, knowledge of something instead of being overly specialized. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I've always been a tinker slash like, let me learn all the systems. For, um, and I guess, I mean, instead of just deep diving into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So so you did that. Did you go to uh, grad school or anything after that or just hit hit the workforce? Uh, no, I pretty much got to my final year and I was like, yeah, no, I'm done. Never want to see homework again. Um, <laughs> that sounds very familiar to me. That's pretty much what I said, too. I got done with I my math like, major and I thought I don't ever want to hear about math again. Of course, things have changed now that I'm older, a little bit wiser. But at the time, I was like, grad school? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like, and yeah, I'll pick up the occasional course here or there. Like I still take something about like once every couple of years just because it's fun. But Yeah, yeah, learning new stuff is good. It just didn't seem that way right out of college. I can totally, no. totally understand that. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, and we're good. So what did you go into? I went straight into audiobooks, pretty much. Now, wait a minute. Um, so, you, were a, you were a journalism major, and you went straight into audiobooks instead of going out and finding hard-hitting news stories. How did that happen? Uh, so about halfway through, I took my reporting class in journalism, which is, uh, at least at Mizzou, is very, it's very vocational. Um, I mean, in the sense of, like, they really just they train you by letting you do it. Oh, uh, always good. Yeah. And I mean, I love, I think that's such a valuable experience and valuable learning tool. Cause what I found is like, while I absolutely love journalism, um, I didn't really want to do it for a career anymore. Uh, so I ended up interning, um, at the Missouri review, which is this literary magazine. And they were interested in launching an audiobook version of their magazine and since I had a radio background, they're like, oh, you want to help us set this up? And I was like, sure. I, I don't know what all that entails. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. And I was like, oh, people do this for a career. <laughs> that's great. So what was it about journalism when, once you started doing it that you thought, no, that's not what I want to do? Um, I knew that I would never have a work-life balance. Uh, I knew I, if I had a good story and a story I was passionate about, which ideally is you know, at least as a bright eyed and innocent student is what you hope you're always writing. Sure. I wouldn't be able to leave work at work. It would always follow me home. And which is why I'm so amazed by journalists in general, because I, what their work is so important. But, uh, I just knew that if I did that, I wouldn't have a healthy balance. Yeah. Burnout in 10 years, not good for anybody. No. Makes sense. So, uh, so you started in in audiobooks, and uh, yeah, and you've been there ever since. Yeah, they keep letting me play around <laughs> in the audiobook world. I was like, all right, sure. Isn't isn't that great when you find something that you enjoy doing and they love having you do it? Yeah, it's really exciting. And like I, you know, I, I work primarily on children's books, which is what I'd be reading anyway. Um, but now. I get to get free copies and claim that it's <laughs> for work. That's fantastic. So, uh, so how long were you with uh, the first outfit that you were working for there? So I've always been with Harper Audio, actually. Um, oh. I started as Anna Maria's assistant. Um, so basically doing a little bit of everything, primarily focused on, because originally when I joined, joined Harper Media, it was um, called then, 
it was a combination of ebooks and audiobooks. So I had a little, while I did touch on audiobooks, I had a little bit more focused on ebooks at the time. Just that's where the people are, where I was needed. And um, yeah, and then I just kind of moved over to editorial full time um, and started working on the children's list. And then Karen Jakonski very kindly one day when I said, hey, I'd be interested in figuring out how to uh, produce. She was like, great, let's give you some books. And nice. then I just made the jump into production. So, so editorial, what did you do? And what, what is that in terms of audiobooks? What is editorial? So that was title decision. So figuring out what uh, books we wanted to publish in audio and if needed rights and royalty uh, rights acquisition or mending for royalties. Ah, So we had everything that we needed to publish. And how was that? I mean, you went into production. Did you go into production because you weren't really all that interested in the editorial stuff or was it just because it seemed like a natural progression? A little bit of both. Um, Editorial, as I experienced it, was very rights-focused, so Mm -hmm. a lot of contracts reading. um, And I just found that I wanted to exercise a bit more of the creative aspects of my talents, which I think is the best part of production, is it's it's kind of melds my two loves of structure and creativity in a way that I think very few other positions um, do, at least in the industry, the little narrow window of the industry that I've seen. So that's great. It was a I, sorry, natural progression in that way. No, that's, that's great. I, um, I, I love hearing about the creative side of everybody who works in this industry and it, you know, it varies greatly from narrators to producers to directors. And I, I love hearing all the different experiences, how much, um, so your, your creative side, I'm, I'm curious what you did for that, um, prior to the audiobook stuff. Was it, is that part of what got you into journalism was that you thought you could be creative with the writing or did you do stuff outside of your major or maybe even before that with theater or writing or art or any kind of creative outlet? Oh yeah. Um, I guess I was always a kid that was carrying around notebooks all through high school. Um, and each notebook was dedicated to a different story that I was writing at the time. Oh, wow. Um, which, let me tell you, going back and reading your high school writing sometimes is like, it makes you really feel good in some ways just because you're like, oh, my sentence structures have gotten so much better. But also it's just like, dude, I had no fear. Like, I was just writing for myself. They weren't going anywhere. It was great. That is great. That is great. I love hearing stuff like that because I've done that too. I used to write when I was younger and, um, and some of it was a lot younger. I've still got a story someplace uh, I had, and I think I still have that I wrote in like, I don't know, third or fourth grade or something like that. And it's really fun to go back to that stuff because yeah, of course you cringe a little, but at the same time you go, but look what I did. I mean, you know, I, I just, I, I thought of this thing all by myself and I wrote it out and okay, yeah, it's a, it's a kid, right? Or, or it's a high school kid or it's a college kid. And so that was a long time ago, but isn't this cool that I did that even though I'm cringing a little now? So that's, that's, uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, so creativity all the way. And then you, you, uh, got a little bit more of that when you got into audiobook production. So how did it go when you first started as a producer? It went well. They let me keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it so must I think have. Nobody, yeah, nobody seemed to have any complaints. <laughs> That's great. And and how did it feel for you? It felt really good. It felt like it kind of just 
it, it felt like the perfect synchronization of like everything that I love about the medium as well as the industry. And I just, it felt good. That's good. Honestly. That's good. Do you remember what your first book was that you produced? I should. <laughs> Not necessarily. I, I think of I, those things sometimes and I think, boy, I should, I should remember what date X happened or I should remember who did this that I remember. And, and yeah, sometimes it just gets lost. I remember the first book where I had the first time that crystallization as a casting director of like this book and this narrator like that is the pairing that needs to happen. Like That's that great. is going to bring it to life in a whole new way. And that was the Gollum and the Genie, which George Bedal narrated. And it was just like one of those instances where it was just like he he was the best voice that could possibly tell that story. That's great. So that that kind of leads into your responsibilities as a producer. And you mentioned casting. So as a producer, what is it that you're responsible for? So as a producer, I'm responsible for the production of a certain number of titles every year and maintaining, keeping them in budget. But uh, what I also handle is all the casting decisions for those titles. Okay. And what we've, what's really important for us at Harper Audio is um, author involvement. So for us, it's really important that the author always has input in the casting decisions. Hmm. So we, um, because I mean, these people have had the, this, especially in fiction, like they've had these voices in their head for years often. Mm-hmm. And like, you, as a producer, I want to help bring that voice to the listener. And so like giving working with them, showing them the casting options and finding the best fit um, is a large portion of my job. And then making sure everything comes in on time. Do, do you think that, um, that, that, that author involvement is uh, fairly widespread in the industry? I know that when I talked to Julie Wilson at Penguin Random House, she mentioned the same thing that they often, uh, I don't know about, I don't think always, but they often have um, quite high level of author involvement in a production. Is that pretty typical? Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, uh, as a result of only having been at Harper Audio, I only have our window into the industry. But don't you know everybody at every publisher? You'd be surprised how rarely I get it away from my desk. (laughs) (laughs) No, I understand. And I'm an introvert, which means like once we get to the mixers, I'm just like, I'm going to park here in this corner and (laughs) smile at the people I know. (laughs) Well, that's that's fine. I'm just uh, I do find it interesting that that both of you have mentioned that. And so I it sounds to me like like a good thing. I'm just wondering if there's another school of thought someplace else where they'd be thinking, oh, no, we don't want them involved. We're just going to handle everything. But it, uh, it certainly sounds like that's not the case at HarperCollins. No. And it's just like, and, you know, and it's great because the more authors are involved, the more they're aware of the format, which means they, you know, promote the format. So it can only mean good things. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, too. So, so you're involved in uh, casting the project and you have a certain mm-hmm. number per year. Um, what about after it's cast and, and production has started? Um, it varies by production. The bulk of my productions after it's started, um, I have very limited involvement in that point. 
Um, but there are certain titles where I'm much more involved. Like for instance, if I'm working on a full cast project, I'm going to be far more, um, involved. Oftentimes I'll be the one adapting the script, um, for full cast or, um, if I'm directing it, you know, I'll be in the studio working with the actors or the author. And so you um, direct as well. Oh yeah. Ah, And and how, how is that for you? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, if I'm ever feeling kind of like, if I ever lose that sense of magic, what, um, that I, that I find in audiobooks, all I need to do is just go back into this booth and like work with an actor or author. And like, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is it. This is it. This is why I love what I do. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, it, typically when you direct, when, when an mm-hmm. audiobook is being directed, I assume that you're talking about it's being recorded in house. Oh, we don't have in-house booths. So we work with studios all around the city as well as all around the world. Oh, no kidding. So you do remote direction. I, I assume that the studios in the city, you go to the studio. Yeah. And yeah. And for around the world. So you do remote direction as well. Sure. Yeah. I'll Skype in or phone patch in. Great. So, so for those productions that you're directing, do, do you direct the entire book or do different directors work on different parts of books? I direct the entire book unless something comes up, like there's an emergency or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it really benefits on audiobook to have a consistent director because part of that job as a director is kind of to hold the overall picture in their head and make sure that all the through lines are followed. Yeah, that, that's what I was expecting. I just, not having worked with a director like that in that capacity before, I wasn't sure how uh, how it was done, but it it seemed to me that if you're going to have multiple directors, you're going to have multiple visions, which means you're going to have kind of multiple different stories going on. Yeah, there's always that risk. I mean, it's there's definitely, I mean, I feel like there are ways to make it work, but you have to be very conscious of the fact that there's going to be a handoff and like preparing for that handoff and making sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, yeah, that makes but, a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, no, our normal run the mill is if there's a director, it's the same director throughout. That's good. That's good. So, uh, so how long have you been doing that now? And, and at this point you were the executive producer. Yeah. Uh, um, math. Um, <laughs> I think I started producing in 2011 or 2012. Quite a so few years. By, uh, six or seven years. Yeah, yeah, quite a while there. And you're still loving yeah. it just as much. Still loving it. That's fantastic. So uh, so HarperCollins is in New York. And, yes. uh, and how long have they been around? Oh, golly. Uh, HarperCollins, is, we just celebrated our 200th anniversary. Um, long actually, time. Uh, long time. <laughs> um, and then Harper Audio, we can actually trace our roots back to Cadman Audio, which I believe started in the 50s, I want to say. We wow, were definitely that's going putting... way back in the audiobook world. Yeah, so like our initial recordings were released on LPs. Wow. So yeah. I'm, I'm from the time frame of listening to audiobooks on cassette, and, uh, and I knew yeah. that they went back... Uh, you know, quite a while before that, but I was not aware of uh, LP audiobooks. Yeah, we got we were originally on vinyl. 
Um, it's actually really cool. Cadman was started by these two women that uh, just wanted to get authors to read their books, basically. Um, I think their first person they approached was Dylan Thomas reading A Child's Christmas in Wales. Don't quote me on that. No, but wow, that's uh, uh, that's big. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of their recordings. I think it might have been the first one, but there's a telegram that I have on my desk. It's a Xerox with the telegram, original telegram where it's basically like, um, I think it was Dylan Thomas has agreed to read for this amount. Um, all good. XOXO sort of thing. <laughs> That's great. Telegrams. I guess they decided that would be more fitting than email. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit predated. It's, it's like either a telegram or a wire. I don't yeah. quite know the difference because. Because we don't have either one time. anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that. I don't know, but it's really cool to have like that little Xerox copy of history like next to my desk which clearly i've paid so much attention to because i can't even quote it to you after <laughs> no, like seven great. odd years <laughs> yeah but that's that's great having something like that uh, some little yeah. piece of history or a copy of a piece of history yeah. so you mentioned that you do uh you do a lot of children's books so th is that kind of your specialty is that you said that you read them too so that so that it sounds like that's at least partially by choice um yes so that's what you do but do you do others as well, or do you really stick to just children's books? Uh, these days, um, I focus solely on children's books, and then I have a few author exceptions. Like, I also work on all the Neil Gaiman books. Ah. Uh, I also work on the Alona Andrews books because I'm total fangirl for their books, uh. and I'm just... <laughs> I need a perfectly good excuse to get this manuscript early. <laughs> um, but... Before that, like when I was also working more on the adult side, I, I focused on genre fiction. So sci-fi, romance, stuff like that. But children, children's audio, so anything from a picture book through YA is like my one true love. So why is that? What, what drives that, do you think? I, I'm not sure. I think it's just like I've always loved YA as a whole. I've always loved children's books. Um, and... The writing, I, I, the writing and the stories that are being told, especially these days, are just phenomenal in all the ways. Like the way a good story can impact a person, especially like when you're younger, mm -hmm. is just amazing. Like I, I to this day yearly reread uh, Tamara. Tamara Pierce's um, Tortle books because since I was 12 and I first discovered them, like they've had such an impact on me. And like I'll, every, every time I reread, like I find another little piece that I didn't pick up when I was younger or like I now find myself, you know, aligning more with other characters. And I feel like just having the opportunity to possibly have something to do with getting a a story into another 12-year-old's hands is just like who can pass that up yeah i i have heard that from more than one person who specializes in young adults it's been typically the the narrators that i've spoken with who have done a lot of ya and they just love it 
Um, and I, that is not something I specialize in. I think that with my voice, it will probably never be something I specialize in, but yeah, you got, you got the deep, uh, rumble there. That's great for adult fiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not perfect. I mean, I'm sure that there are some very specific books out there where it might work, but I, I yeah. understand where I'm at and that it's unlikely. Um, but I've heard that from, from several people about how special they find YA because it is going to have an impact on somebody who's young. And because as you said, the writing, um, these days tends to be really, really good. Um, and I know that when I was a kid, I was a voracious reader when I was a kid. I even had my own library in my room and I, I made my family check books out, but, um, (laughs) I had, I, I had a huge number of books on my bookshelf and, uh, and I loved the stuff that was geared towards 10 and 12 year olds. And I kept reading them long after I had kind of graduated from, from that time frame. Um, the lemonade trick, Scott, uh, Scott Corbett, I think was the, the author's name, the lemonade trick and, uh, the big joke game were two of my favorite books back when I was a kid, but there were so many more to a wrinkle in time. And, uh, you know, oh, just yeah. the, the list goes on and on, uh, the phantom toll booth. I reread every few years, uh, and, and I love that one as well. So, uh, so yeah, I can totally understand why somebody would be enamored of that genre, either because the writing is so good now, or just because of good memories from when they were younger. Yeah. And, and it's just like, I love that YA and or like children's books as a general, because it's so often categorized by age range. They don't have the same or it feels like there's more flexibility to experiment, experiment with genre mm-hmm. a bit. And so there's elements that get mixed in that it's OK if it's a little harder to categorize like what sort of like, is this fantasy? Is this sci-fi? Is this like real or magical realism or anything like that? And it's like, it's, it's okay that it's gray areas. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there's just so much creativity. That's great. That's great. Um, so you also mentioned full cast recordings. How, how is that going as in terms of, um, whether or not it's going to continue? It seems to me just with the little information that I have that that is becoming more slowly, more popular. Um, what, what is it? What, what's your perception of full cast recordings from the uh, publisher side? I think we'll definitely continue to see more of them. I mean, part of it again is the creativity or the creative approaches to stories that are being put into print that sometimes, I mean, simply put, it requires a full cast to convey the same, experience of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it's just, I mean, I think people are rediscovering like just how wonderful it is to listen to f- full cast. And like, don't get me wrong. I love single voice narration too. I I have, my phone is full of them. Um, I'm constantly listening, but it's kind of like a nice little extra treat sometimes to have a full cast. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they've been around for ages. I mean, these are the radio dramas that, you know, you had in the 30s. UK never lost them. I mean, they've been doing it for ages mm-hmm. on BBC, and it's just, you know, what's old is new again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to love the CBS Radio Mystery Hour. I think that was the name of it. Uh, some uh, radio, uh, I think I was, I don't know. Anyway, uh, E.G. Marshall was the uh, the MC for the show, and I always loved it. Um, you know, you get kind of drawn in. Yeah. And there's really cool stuff going on in the podcasting world too with like creative, like full cast storytelling. Yeah. 
So, so I've only started listening to one of those recently, and I was a little surprised, but then I found out that it really is kind of a thing, and um, and that's happening a lot, too. Do you have any that you would recommend to anybody who might be interested in listening to something like that? Oh, you know, I am not as up-to-date on podcasts as I wish I was, but Thrilling Adventure Hour is, like, my go-to. Okay. Um, they have a whole bunch of little uh, – so their, over, their overall umbrella contains a lot of stories like there's sparks nevada there's beyond belief i think it is which i should totally know because it's my favorite one of theirs <laughs> but right. i'm blanking it's been a year or so since i last but i love those those are so good and they're so much fun i gotta listen to some more of those because i listen to a lot of podcasts in fact i think my phone's about to explode because i've I'm, I'm so far behind on some of them but um, but I think I'm going to look for some more of those because I found it a very interesting medium for uh, storytelling. Yeah. Oh, and Macmillan was doing a really interesting full cast uh, sci-fi one. Um, the what? Uh, Macmillan was. Oh, okay. Macmillan. Uh-huh. Um, Tor was. And it's just like I, I listened to – I have I need to go back and finish it, but I listened to the start of it. And it was really cool. It was really well done. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely look for some of those and um, – and see if see if any of my narrator friends out there might be listening some as well. Um, so so you specialize in children's. What about Harper Collins? Do they have a specialty, or are the audiobooks that they produce really all over the map? We do it all. So we um, we basically produce audiobooks for all um, all our different imprints. So that means that we have sci-fi, we have romance, we have nonfiction, we have business, we have self-help. We have um, autobiographies, uh, literary fiction. We have it. We do it all. Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah. If somebody is uh, interested in working with Harper Collins, what should they do? Um, they should go to our website, Harper. I'm assuming it, somebody is a narrator. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of because okay. most of my listeners are. I think that I have a few few that are in the industry in other ways, but uh, most of my listeners are narrators. So I was. That's what I was thinking of. Cool. Just want to make sure before uh, I answer. <laughs> for you authors um, out there. For you authors, please go to HarperAudio.com. Um, no. um, so yeah, if you're interested in narrate, uh, narrating for us, go to HarperAudio.com. And then on our homepage, you'll see the menu bar and there's a button that says narrate for us. Click that and you fill out the form and you'll be entered into our roster. Great. Um, so you talked a little bit about, about remote studios um, I assume that includes home studios. Uh, you talked about the studios in New York. In terms of direction, do you direct? Is some not you personally, but is somebody from Harper directing all of the audiobooks that are produced, or do you work with narrators who do everything themselves and then send you the audio? We only have directors on select audiobooks. Okay, um, so, so 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 it's a mix. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I know that um, some people, because of schedules or for whatever other reason, uh, it would be difficult, not impossible, and I'm sure they'd be happy to, but it would be more difficult rather than less difficult to actually work with a director's schedule. But uh, Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're open to either one, depending on the book. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. All right. So uh, go to HarperCollins and deal with it that way. That's good. Well, so what words of wisdom might you have for aspiring narrators? Since, as I mentioned, most of my audience is our narrators. Um, what words of wisdom do you have for narrators in terms of their craft? Um, 
I have a couple go-tos. So as a casting director for me, especially if um, you're looking to break into the industry or if you want to expand who you're working with, um, it's really helpful for casting directors to have a website. And within that website um, that you have contact information, uh, information about your setup. So if you have a home studio or not, um, as well as like listing your skills. So you may uh, have narrated many, many audiobooks before, maybe just a handful, but unbeknownst to everybody, you can do a perfect Scottish accent mm. or a perfect Boston accent. But none of your clips show that because you just haven't had the proper book for it yet. Mm-hmm. But so like unless it's on your website as a casting director, I won't know that you have that in your tool belt. Right. That's it's it's funny because that it sounds uh, at first that that you know have a website with contact information sounds so basic that you shouldn't have to say it, but the question comes up. I've seen it come up just recently about well, I'm thinking about getting a website together, and I'm thinking, of course you're thinking of that because you have to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that it, I think that it bears repeating every once in a while that even though it might sound basic, it is really important to have in this day and age, right now, this is what we're doing. Maybe 50 years from now, it'll be something different, but right now, this is what you have to have for people to get in touch with you. Yeah. And if you have a popular pseudonym, like also make sure that there's a way for people to track down your pseudonym and find contact information that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, there have been numerous narrators that I've fallen in love with or thought would be really cool for a project that I found like reading books on auto while skimming through audible. And I'm like, Oh, let me see if I can find them. And like, I, you don't seem to exist beyond <laughs> wow. audible.com or audiobooks.com or, you know, wherever I'm looking at that time, Libro FM. Yeah, no, that's, uh, so it sounds like good information. Okay, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt your, uh, your words of no. wisdom there, but it just seems like that, that really does bear repeating. Yeah, and especially, um, and like, in the, even if you have a website already, just double check that it has all the pertinent information, like your what dialects you can do, what, if you're fluent in any other additional languages, um, you know, where you record. Um, also we kind of already touched on this when you asked us or asked me about like how, how people work with Harper audio. But, um, if you are interested in reaching out to a company that you haven't worked for before, it's definitely worth your time to research that company before cold emailing. Cause oftentimes there's a lot of us that have very clear instructions on like how narrators should contact us or like, here's how you enter our casting pool and such. And then that way it just saves you extra steps. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, I, I have heard stories at APAC, I think it was where, you know, somebody will say, uh, I specifically told people not to contact me and somebody contacted me or vice versa. And, uh, so it, it just seems like, uh, it's important to pay attention. Yeah. And it just, it proves that you are really interested in that company, um, because you've looked into them, mm-hmm. not just because they happen to be on a list somewhere. Right. Right. Um, and the last thing I have to say is just listen to audiobooks, study them. I mean, if there's a genre that you're interested in breaking into, uh, go to your library and like download the, you know, the top in that genre and just see what's being done in that space. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as a producer and a casting director and just as a director, like in all facets of my job, like I learned so much just by listening to audiobooks. I'm constantly like being like, oh, why did I really like what that person just did? Like, what did they just do? Mm-hmm. Oh, and it just like helps you crystallize the craft a bit more. Sure. In your De- head. Deconstruct it a little and that way you can figure out how to direct somebody to do that in the future. Yeah, and then, yeah, and like, w- yes, exactly, yeah, that. No, you said a- it very eloquently, and I can't <laughs> approve of all that at all. <laughs> no, it's, that's great. That sounds like, uh, sounds like good advice. Uh, I have heard many times, you know, research the company, find out all you can about them, uh, not just in audiobooks, but just if you're going to contact anybody. Uh, yeah. Al- always a good idea. Yep, but yeah, those are the three basic things that I have. Well, that sounds great. So, so what's what's in your future? You planning on continuing in audiobooks? I mean, sounds like you really hate it. So, I can't imagine you staying in the <laughs> current position. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, no, I mean, as long as they let me keep playing in the uh, playing around with audio, I'll, I'll stick around. That's great. Uh, yeah. So we're working on a couple cool projects right now. I'm adapting um, a couple graphic novels for audio. Um, which is always a fun challenge. Um, no doubt. Really t- I, that kind of makes my head explode a little. Graphic, novel, audio. Hmm. Okay. Oh, but it's so fun when you do it. Like, when we, when we worked on Nimona, like, that was a dream come true project. It's combining two of my loves. How do you spell that? Nimona, N-I-M-O-N-A. All right. I'll look for that. Because um, if that's a graphic novel that was put into audio, I should be familiar with how it is that that would happen (laughs) (laughs) with a really cool and good creative team. Like everybody who touched that project, um, from the engineer who was working, uh, at that studio all the way up, um, just was positively brilliant. Well, that's great. That's the best kind of project where you get a whole bunch of people collaborating. Collaboration is a, uh, tricky beast every once in a while when you've got multiple people with different creative visions but when you get people all on the same page um i love to see the output of something like that yeah so how about you any cool projects in your in your future um i've got uh, quite a few things that are sort of irons in the fire that i'm not sure if the irons are going to pan out or disappear but i'm, I'm working with a local publishing company that is just now getting into audiobooks and i'm trying to show them the ropes as far as I know them and help them get into audio and hoping that in doing that, they will help me do audiobooks for them. And it, it seems to be working out well. It's just kind of, you know how they say about audiobooks, so many people say it and I, I parrot it all the time. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And this is, this is one of those things. This is a relationship that has been, I think it's a year and a half now in the making, maybe longer. Um, and I, I think that it's just now coming to fruition, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to work out really well for both of us. Um, and another project that, uh, it, it kind of spurred me to get my LLC created because, um, not a whole lot of details, but it, uh, it, I just, I look at the project and I think this may be problematic down the road. And I think it's a good thing to have in audio, but some other people might not think so. So I contacted a lawyer and he said, yep, if anybody has a problem with it, you could be liable as the narrator, even if you didn't write it. And so um, you should probably, you know, make sure you have legal protection. I'm like, okay. So that's been a very educational experience. Um, and there are a couple of other things that have just come up recently that are possibilities. Um, it, it's, it's a 
fascinating industry and it's a fascinating um, creative endeavor, I will say. Um, there are so many different aspects to it and I'm, I'm constantly, I don't know, intrigued, uh, mystified, uh, so many different ways to put it about how things are. And, and of course, 90% of the work is pretty straightforward. This is a great nonfiction book. This is a great sci-fi book, whatever it is. And you do it, you perform it, everybody's happy. But there are all these little things off to the side that every once in a while they come up and you think, wow, there's just so much to this. And uh, I find it a, a really interesting endeavor. Yeah. I mean, and the one of the most basic ways in terms of things off to the side is like you learn to be absolutely paranoid of how a word is actually pronounced. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you will never trust your instincts again, ever. Yep. You just assume you're wrong after a certain point. Yeah. You're like what does Merriam Webster say? <laughs> yeah. And, and even then, uh, I've, I've got this one review. I got a, one of those classic one star reviews where I mispronounced one word and that set the reviewer off. Now, I have no idea if I had pronounced that word correctly, if this reviewer would have given me two, three, five. I don't know what he would have given me. But, uh, but he had a problem with that word. And I'm like, I looked it up. And the pronunciation that I gave was one of two possibles. And the uh, rights holder was perfectly fine with it. But apparently, in a specific part of the country where this took place, nobody says it that way. Big mistake on my part. I get it. You know, I'm responsible for the research, but uh, but I, you're right. You get paranoid, and I still now, as I'm going back through something, after I've looked it up, I look it up again when I hear it again yeah. to say, "What was that again? Did I do that right?" So, oh yeah, yeah. There, there are no, a lot that, of little things like that in this job. Yeah, the the greatest gift ever was the fact that Merriam-Webster's online dictionary has that little, like, click to hear. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big help. And uh, there are a lot of other web resources out there, too. Oh, yeah. um, I've I've made use of most of them, not all of them. Uh, And and it's really frustrating when you find one where there isn't a, a clear answer. There are multiples, and you have to dig even deeper to try to figure out, well, what's the best choice here? And uh, oh, yeah. no guarantee you'll get it right. But yeah, all, all these little things about this job, I, I find it fascinating. Um, it, it just, you keep running into new things every week, every month, every six months, whatever it is. It's like, oh, never thought of that before. How do I handle this? And uh, a lot of those questions come up online. Yep. But the great thing about that, though, is like you never get bored. No, that's absolutely true. <laughs> so absolutely. You, Sometimes you might wish for boredom, but like for the most part, though, it's like you're constantly learning. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, the, the, well, lear- the learning part is good. It can get frustrating depending on who you're dealing with or what the problem is, but, but the learning stuff is great. Uh, always yeah. learning something new, hearing something new. I, I like the way you put that about you listen to something and, and you go, how did they do what they just did? Because it's not just a matter of loving it because you're not just a listener, you're in the industry. And how that is done matters to you because you can use that going forward, whether you're a narrator, a producer, director, whatever it is, you can use that going forward in other things that you do. And so you have to figure out what it was specifically that made it so good. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, actively listening. It's just, I don't know. It, and I find that it enriches it also as a, as a listener, as a fan, like it's, it makes the whole experience better. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. 
All right. Well, Caitlin, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming into the speakeas. I hope the uh, ginger beer was good. I'm sorry you had to run errands later so you couldn't have a full-on mule, but sounds like you made a good choice with the uh, ginger beer and sriracha bitters. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to finishing it up. All right. I'm, I'm about halfway through my Manhattan, and I'm sure that it will be gone fairly shortly. <laughs> well, it was so lovely to talk to you. Thank All you right. so much. You are welcome. Thanks for coming in. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Caitlin Gehring for stopping by. I always like hearing how things work at the big audiobook publishing companies. I forgot to ask Caitlin about her social media presence. If you'd like to follow Caitlin on Twitter, she's at Caitlin Gehring. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-G-A-R-I-N-G. Thanks also to the sponsors for tonight's episode, The Audiobook Reviewer and The Audiobookworm. Check out audiobookreviewer.com for audiobook reviews, how to get your audiobook reviewed, and information about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards and the Audiobooks After Dark podcast. And visit audiobookwormpromotions.com to find out more about Jess's narrator resource guide. Don't forget to use promo code COCKTAILS if you'd like to pick up a copy. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Shout out to Mitch Wayne tonight for leaving a very kind review on iTunes. Mitch, I'm so glad you're finding the show helpful as you enter the world of audiobooks. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. A quick shout-out tonight to David Webb, the Speakeasy's latest patron. Thanks, David. Your support is very much appreciated. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!